So hey, as we enter into this season, some of you may not be familiar with the Advent season, and some of you may, uh, Advent simply means the arrival or the coming. So in this season, we celebrate the arrival, the coming of Jesus Christ in his birth. But not only do we celebrate the coming of Jesus, the arrival of Jesus in his birth, which we understand what Christmas is about, it also anticipates the second coming, the second arrival of Jesus Christ. That because the first arrival has happened, we now have the hope that the second arrival is also going to happen. That our hope is built on the promise and the fulfillment of what God has done. And because Jesus Christ has come, therefore we trust that Jesus Christ will come. And now in this season, we rest between this tension of his coming and yet his return. And as we are in this season, we focus on him in hope for what God is going to do. You know, growing up, I knew nothing about Advent except for the little Advent calendars. You got, you got those? You open the little Advent calendar, you get a toy, you get a, a piece of candy. Um, but I did know that Advent meant the beginning of presents. Because, see, as soon as Advent came, my mom would put up the Christmas tree. And, and she already, already had these, these packages. I don't know how she did it, but she must have wrapped these things before Thanksgiving and, and November, maybe even October. And, and right when the tree went up, there was, there was a plethora, and I use the word plethora, of gifts. Which, for a child, I want you to understand, is called Torture. It was torture. To see those gifts every single day as I went to school, as I came home, and you couldn't touch them, really? It was absolute torture. But see, one of the traditions we had in our family was on Christmas Eve, we got the teaser gift. Anybody have a teaser gift? We got to open one gift. And see, the teaser gift set the stage for Christmas, if you know what I mean. If the teaser gift was good, you know Christmas, the deck was set. And you were excited about Christmas morning, but then... One year, one year it happened, and it happens to all of us. Uh, my mom on that uh, Christmas Eve, she handed me the teaser gift, and it was this big heavy package. It felt, uh, felt like something significant was inside, and I opened it, and inside was disappointment. Inside was a sweater. <laughs> I was 16 years old, and that told me that hope was over. No more games, no more toys, no more electronics. My mom called it the transition year. I don't know what that is. <laughs> Hope was lost. And all that to say is often we hope in something. We hope that something good will happen, and yet in the end, we're often left dis disappointed. That often we hope that something good is going to come about, but when we hope, there's often there's this time where we're, we're left unsatisfied. And as we enter this holiday season, I think our culture is, is constantly setting up images, experiences, opportunities, and, and say, hey, put your hope in this. Put your hope in a relationship or put your hope in an experience. Put your hope in what you have or, or what you will get or maybe what's going to happen. Our, our culture is constantly saying hope, hope, hope. But what does it look like for us to really put our hope and to anchor our hope in what God has done through Jesus Christ. What would it look like this season, not just to hope in a great Christmas, but to hope in God in a way that changes the way that we celebrate Christmas, that makes Christmas great because of where our hope is anchored and found. You know, in the Bible, the word hope means something very different from the way that we tend to use the word hope. When we think of hope in the English vernacular, we think of a wishful hope. Something that may happen. 
But in the Bible, the biblical concept of hope is it refers to something that will happen. It's a confident expectation in the future. That hope is this feeling of expectation that's anchored in God's promises that something good is going to happen. We just have to wait for it. And so as we jump into this passage in Romans chapter 15 and verses 12 and 13, what Paul does through the first 13 verses of Romans chapter 15 is he lays out a series of promises. Promises of what God said he was going to do. Now these are promises that are now fulfilled. But in verse 12 of Romans 15, Isaiah is prophesying and he's pointing to the coming of Jesus. So a thousand years before Christ came, Isaiah writes this, and actually we're reading it in Romans chapter 15, verse 12, but it comes from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10. And it says, and again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, and in him will the Gentiles hope. Now, you may not realize it, but that verse has been fulfilled in us. If you've put your trust in Jesus Christ, what Isaiah is saying is those who are far from God, that's me, we will put our hope in him. And because of that, in verse 13, what he does is he transitions from this promise that's been fulfilled into a prayer for hope. That as we go through this season, I would hope that this prayer in verse 13 would be our prayer each day or each Sunday or whatever day you choose to to pray this prayer on that God would abound in hope through us in this season. And so in verse 15 or verse 13, Paul says it this way. He says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Let me read that again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Now listen, I want you to say it with me now. You've heard it twice, so I know you've memorized it. You ready? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. What God wants for us this season is hope. But not just hope in something that may happen, some good reality that may come about but rather hope that is anchored in God. Because notice in the beginning of that verse, he says, may the God of hope. Meaning God is not just a dispenser of hope. He's not just a supplier of hope. God is hope. To know God is to know hope. Because the source, the essence, the character of God, when you're worshiping him, you're worshiping the God who is hope. Now, in our culture, hope is based on probabilities. I hope it'll snow this Christmas. You know, I hope the in-laws won't stay as long or be as difficult as last year. We have hopes, and those are based on probabilities. It's not a certainty that the in-laws are going to be loving and supportive. It's a hope. There are facts, there are signs that maybe it's going to get better, but maybe it's not. See, in our, our culture, hope is based on probabilities. In Scripture, hope is based in promises. It's based first in this Advent season and the promise that Jesus Christ will come, would be born. The Messiah would come. And as it says in verse 12, it says that the Messiah, Jesus, would be born of the root of Jesse. That seems like a strange way to describe a person, but it refers to the idea that Jesus would be born of the lineage of the king of Israel, who is David. Because see, Jesse was David's father. 
And God made a promise to David that through you, through your descendants, the Messiah would come. Now, if you're not familiar with that term Messiah, it means the anointed one. This person is going to come, and what's going to happen is he's going to set right the hopes of God's people. He's going to make right everything that sin has destroyed. That, see, when it comes to hope, it's not just that we hope in God for eternal life. That's one aspect. You know, I'm putting my hope in God for my marriage, not in me. That if my marriage is going to be a marriage that's going to bless my wife, it's going to bless her because my hope is not just in my wife, it's in, it's in God. And when it comes to my kids, I don't just put my hope that my kids are going to have a great future. Rather, I put my hope in God. And I trust in God. And through God working in me, God's going to begin to work in my children's life. The idea of hope is not just hope for the future, it's hope for today. It's looking to God and saying, God, whatever I'm dealing with today, whatever outcome I want today, whether it's in my health, my finances, or in this season in my family, would you be the anchor of that hope? And even if things, because see, even if things go right in your life the way you want them to go, but God isn't your hope, they're not going to go right in your life. Did you hear me on that? Even if you get the gift that you want this year and things go right in your life, but your life isn't anchored in him, those things are going to go wrong again. Because everything that goes right in my life goes wrong at some point. And even when God solves one thing and he does one miracle, works one answered prayer in my life, there's always another thing that's coming up right around the corner. And if God and my hope isn't anchored in him, see, then it's not anchored in a source of stability. And so the question becomes this season, will we hope in him? Or will we just experience a sentimentality, maybe a, a momentary satisfaction of what God's done or maybe what you've gotten, but not something that's grounded and secure? You know, in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, listen to the way that Paul describes who God is. In Titus 1, verse 2, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God, and notice the way he describes it, who never lies, promised before the age began. Now, why does he say that? Because often God's promises have a bit of a lag behind them. That God promises us something, but the fulfillment isn't immediate. And you may wonder, hey, can I trust him? And what, Titus, what Paul's saying to Titus is, he is a God that never lies. He is a God that fulfills his promises. As we look back 2,000 years ago to the birth of Jesus, we trust that the promise that God made to Israel, to his people who were without hope, they said the one who would bring hope will come. Well, listen, he's come. And if he has accomplished that, will he not continue to provide and fulfill the promises that he's made to us, that he has spoken over our lives the first idea of hope is it's anchored in God. It's not anchored in you being a hopeful person. It's rather anchored in the security that God can be hoped in. He is worthy of it. But notice what hope produces. Because notice he says, may the God of hope, God's got a plan for your life. He wants to fill you with some good stuff. He wants to fill you with joy and peace. I'd like me a little joy and peace. You know, I mean, when this season starts, and I put up the tree, I feel a little peace. You know, you feel a little peace until the kids start, start fighting over the ornaments. Or, or when you start noticing the lights aren't quite right, and there's a whole strand of lights that have just gone out, and all that work that you did the day before is gone, and you're trying to find out which light is broken on that tree. You probably replaced it last year, but I didn't. You know, I feel that joy and peace, and I think our culture is saying, hey, here's joy and here's peace. 
create this environment. I don't know how many magazines you look at. I mean, that house is beautiful. It looks like nobody lives there. But, you know, I'm watching sitcoms, and I'm looking at the sitcoms, and they've got the kind of Christmas theme. And I'm always wondering, how do they keep their house so clean? I mean, how do they make everything so, do you ever, you don't feel that way? I do. I watch that stuff and I think, gosh, I wish if I could just create a house like that, you know, if I could just create a family that acted like that, that would joke with each other, you know, all that kind of stuff, that would be joy and peace. But what he's saying is joy and peace is a product of hoping in God. Joy and peace is a product of hoping in God because what Paul's praying for is not that you have a great Christmas. Rather, he's praying for the evidence of the Spirit's work in your life. See, what he's praying for in joy and peace is not just a great experience. He's praying for the evidence of the Spirit's work in your life. What's the evidence of the Spirit's work? It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When Paul prays for joy and peace, what he's saying, he's praying for something you can't produce. If you're trying to create joy and peace in your life, it's not the joy and peace that God wants to give you. It's the joy and peace that you can create, but it's not the joy and peace that's going to sustain you when you go through challenges in life. Because see, the joy that he's referring to is an inner satisfaction of soul. It's not a circumstance. It's not based on how the house looks or what presents came or how good this year was financially or the relationships we have. It's not a satisfaction that's based on circumstances. It's this satisfaction that comes and you realize God is my God and I belong to him. And I am his child. And he says over to me, you are my son, you're my daughter, and whom I love with you I am well pleased. It's in hearing the voice of the Father through the power of the Spirit that gives this satisfaction of soul, I belong to him. That's what comes from hoping in God. But see, the second aspect of peace is a settled contentedness in that. A settled contentedness in God that God is enough. I think it's a battle I'm constantly facing in life. And I face it, I think, at different ways and stages in life as I grow. There's certain things that I want, and I think, you know, if I have this, if I accomplish this, then I'm going to be settled in life. You know, if my kids would just do everything I say, then I'd be settled. If my life looked a certain way, then I'd be settled. And what God's telling me is all that could be right, you know, never be settled. Because like I said before, all the things that go right in my life, they eventually go wrong. And if my hope isn't anchored in him, then the joy and the peace he wants for us in this season isn't going to be the joy that's satisfying and settled. Because it's going to be in something that's temporary rather than in something that is eternal. What are we hoping in this season? What does this season look like? Would we begin to pray, God, may you be the God of hope in my life? Would you be the God of hope that produces joy and peace in my life? Now, how does that work? Because, see, we've got a role to play. It's not that God just kind of downloads these gifts into our lives. Rather, he says, and you'll notice that last phrase, joy and peace in our lives in, you looking at it, you see it, in what? In believing. We've got to trust. And we've got to constantly remind ourselves of who God is and why he's he's worthy of being trusted. That the in-believing aspect means to trust. It means to look at. It means to set your heart, your mind. In the same way that you set your heart and mind on all the good things you want this season, 
when you watch them on television, look at them in the magazines, dream of them when you go to the mall or go to the store, all those things that we want, that our culture is constantly saying, this will give you hope. In the same way, you've got to reverse that process. You've got to start swimming upstream and start trusting that the promises God has spoken over you, he will accomplish. It starts with us believing. Because see, as we believe in him, as we trust in him, what that does is that it engages a power in your life. Believing is like shifting the clutch. I know a lot of us didn't grow up. Some of you probably did. You know, I grew up driving a stick shift. Most kids today probably will have no idea what that's like to, to start uphill, right? Your dad would start you right on the hill. That was great. That was a good experience, right? You're on a hill, and you know you're about to go backwards into the car behind you, but it kind of gives you enough fear to say, I'm going to figure this thing out right now. I can do this because I've got to. Yeah, it's, it's engaging that clutch. When you believe, what it does is the Holy Spirit of God says, look at Jesus. Look at his promises. Look at what he's done. He's worthy to be trusted. See, what believing does is it engages the power of God in your life. And it's the power of God that now produces joy and it produces peace. So what do we need to do with that? Now, first of all, as I said, I want to encourage you, if the only thing you remember is may the God of hope, if that's all you remember, would you start each day saying, God, you're my hope. That's that simple. Because you're starting that day, each day, whether you realize it or not, saying, this is my hope. You know, subconsciously you're doing it. Whether it's the voice of your mom from the past or the voice of a relationship, the radio, the television, you're saying, this is my hope. Would you just each day just say, God, you're my hope. God, you're my hope. And when you find yourself anxious and worried, what hope does is it, it expels fear, anxiety. It, it, it begins to push out all those contrary emotions. Now, now why? Because we ha- we're reminding ourselves, that's not my hope. Hey, that's not my hope. Though this is something I want, it's not my hope. Though this is something I feel I need right now, it's not my hope. And sometimes you've got to be a little, little odd. Christians are odd. Just embrace it. And if you have this, this moment and you're thinking out loud and, or thinking in your mind this negative thought, I need to have this, would you just say it out loud? Hey, that's not my hope. That's not my hope. My hope is in God. And whether you're at King Supers or Walmart, hopefully we'll hear each other doing this, but like, he must go to Bergen Park Church because he's saying God is my hope. Would we just begin to say over our own lives as God is saying us, over us, God, you're my hope. Not just my kids being right, my relationships being right. You're my hope. And then second, would you take either that devotional that we're handing out or would you go and begin to start reading through Scripture? Would you get into the Word of God? I know we say this all the time, but that is our hope. Because what God does is through the power of the Spirit, He uses the promises of God to fuel hope in our lives. Because you can't be hopeful about something you don't know. And the Holy Spirit of God wants to take the power of the Word of God and begin to fill you with hope as you set your eyes on Him. But see, here's the the bad part about setting your eyes on him. You start to see yourself more clearly, which is good because you'll start to say, you know, I'm hoping in the wrong things. And so in this season, one, would you begin to just pray, God, would you be my hope? Second, would you get in the word of God? But would you start recognizing the things that you're putting your hope in? And would you start naming them? You know, you can't beat something you don't name. And often you can't beat something that you don't share with someone else and saying, you know, this thing has become too important to me. 
God, would you be my hope? But we need brothers, sisters, we need to be a community that's not just simply giving each other great advice, but pointing each other to a powerful and great God. And speaking over each other's life, I want you to trust in that God of hope. And maybe you're here today and you don't know the God of hope. You do not know the promise of hope and joy and peace. Well, he wants to offer that to you through Jesus Christ. The great opportunity of Christianity is not what we do. It's what God's done. It's the beauty that the work is finished. It's complete. And all I have to do is, by faith, trust in Jesus Christ and say, Father, would you forgive me for all the false hopes that I've chased after? I want to put my trust and my hope in you alone. And through Jesus Christ, would you make me a child? Would you make me a son or daughter of the king? What it means this Christmas season is embracing that hope. And if you've never prayed and said, Lord, would you come into my life? That could be the next step for you. Hey, I want to close with this this passage in Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, Paul is describing hope. And he's describing hope, I think, in the midst of a reality all of us go through, which is suffering and tribulation. That even though our hopes for Christmas is for a great season, sometimes the right goes wrong and we need a little hope. And so he says in Romans chapter 5 verse 3, not only that, notice the way he describes it, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and notice character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Some translations say, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The promise of God's hope, you ready? It doesn't disappoint. Now that's sometimes hard to get your mind around because life is often disappointing. I think there's often in my life, I've always wanted to be someone that I'm not. I don't know if you've ever felt that way. And you may not believe that about me today, or maybe you do, and that's another story. I've always wanted to be someone else. Because for the majority of my life, I've struggled. Now, my struggle has been up here. It's in my mind. I come from a long line of bad DNA. I come from a long line of severe, they call us, dyslexics. Now, the way that manifests itself in my life is I never know when I know. And that's not fun to know. (laughs) I never know that the information I've studied is here and it's going to come out here. Do you know what that's like? To constantly study, to constantly read, to constantly go over things over and over and over again. But every morning you wake up and it's a blank slate. And all the stuff you study the day before is suddenly gone. And i got to stand up here and share something with you. There's a reason why I memorize. Because, see, I'm never secure that what I have in here is going to come out here. And for the longest time as a pastor and early on in, in my ministry that led to a lot of anxiety, it turned me to a lot of broken hopes, things that would bring comfort, security, peace in my life, hopefully joy. But what I came to realize is this suffering that God has willingly given me and given me as a gift of grace is not something he's he's given me to harm me but rather to put my hope in him that the reason he's given it to me is so that every Sunday I would get up and not rely on my gifts or my abilities but I'd say God if this is going to work out today and people are going to come back you got to be my hope you've got to be if I'm going to walk out of here today with peace which I rarely walk out of the church with peace 
because I'm always thinking I didn't do it right. It wasn't enough. And you know what I need to say to that? Doing it right isn't my hope. You coming back, I want you to come back, and I, I hope the experience here today was a good one, but that's not my hope. My hope is in the God of hope. The God of hope who has rescued me, who has created me, and even in my brokenness, in my weakness, wants his power to flow through me. Why? So that others may encounter his joy and peace. I don't know what you're struggling with today or what difficulties you may look at in your life and say, you know, I can't have hope. Look what's going on. I can't have joy. I can't have peace. I think in our own strength we can't, but if we're willing to say, God, be my hope, be my joy, be my peace, I want to lay these things aside, and I want to trust you. If we do that, he promises that his joy, his hope, his peace would abound through the Spirit. Hey, today as we celebrate communion, I want you to understand as we come to the communion table, we don't come as a ritual or as a tradition. Rather, we come bringing our hope. And maybe today the application that we bring as we celebrate communion together is just to ask the Father, Father, what is, what is my heart set on that, that I, need to, I need to transfer my hope from these things to you? Where do I need to let go or even just to confess and to name, God, these are the things that I want more than you? And maybe you're not even there yet today. Maybe the Spirit hasn't convicted you. It's just to pray before you get up and come, come to the front and say, Holy Spirit, would you show me the things that are too important? Would you show me the things I'm hoping in? And would I transfer my hope to you? You know, the way we celebrate communion at Bergen Park Church is through a process called intinction. If you've received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, this table is open to you. Right now, I want to invite those of you who are going to serve us. Would you guys come forward? And when you're ready, what I want you to do is would you come forward, and what they're going to do is they're going to present the bread to you. And they're going to say, this bread is Christ's body that's broken for you. We take the bread and we dip it into the cup. And they'll say, this is Christ's blood that was shed for you. And as we do this, we do this in remembrance of him, just simply saying this prayer, God, would you be my hope? Father, would you be my hope? Hey, and listen, if you're here today and you don't want to get up and you want to stay where you are, we've got some folks that will kindly come up to you and serve it to you as well. Just raise your hand up and just take your time. We don't, we don't need to rush through this process but let's allow the Holy Spirit, let's allow God to work in our hearts and minds as we celebrate him. And before I do that, let me just pray. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, you've given us a, you've given us a new birth into a living hope. And it's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And you've given us an inheritance that can never perish, it can never spoil, it can never fade. But right now it's kept in heaven for us who through faith, Father, are shielded by your power until the coming of the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last times. You've told us though, though we know this and though this joy has settled us, we may have to go through various trials of many kinds. But these trials have come so that our faith, our hope, which is of greater worth than God, uh, greater worth than gold, which perishes though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Father, though we don't see you, we love you. And you promise we'll be filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For we are receiving in this moment the goal of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls. Father, open our hearts. Holy Spirit, show us Christ. And may we meet you to here as the God of hope. In Jesus' name, let us celebrate.